137 of the winning agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall, and joining me tonight, uh, in a sort of um, a rather nostalgic, classic winning agenda lineup, we have Wilfred E. Horrig. I feel like everyone must be used to me by now. Hello, all. You are everybody's favourite lovable sidekick. And joining us, this is perhaps the more nostalgic part of the episode, uh, joining us for the first time in quite a few weeks, perhaps a couple of months even, is our very own favourite Alabama and Hollis Echo. How are you? I am well. I have missed you both so much, and I'm so happy to be here again. Oh, well, it's good to have you back. Thank you, Hollis. That's very nice. Ah, oh, ni- nice bit of um, attempted emotion there from Wilfie. Thanks for trying. No, uh, what have you been up to, Hollis? I think last time we chatted, you were saying that you were uh, trying out a few other different games, and I think you went along to Gen Con and played some L5R. How did that go? Uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, you are correct. I, I did say I was uh, out playing other games. I started playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons more often with my friends. Um, that's been a really great experience. We're doing our own little world sort of uh, deal there. And uh, for Gen Con, which was fantastic, uh, I got a chance to basically dive headfirst into a new new FFG uh, game, which is uh, L5R. And uh, it's interesting. It's fun. The fan base is probably the most eccentric I've seen out of a lot of games. But it's it's good. It's it's been a lot of fun, and I got also got to link up with some some other good netrunner people. That's always a pleasure. Uh, I got to go out and have drinks with the currently designer Michael Boggs, and uh, basically just talk shop and get to know him more personally. Um, yeah, we're dating now. Um, you know. Wow! And announcing it on the winning agenda. We're so privileged. I mean, uh, he'll probably deny it, but we had a thing. We had a moment. You know. I mean, we're all in favor of consensual relationships here, so, um, you know, hopefully everything's all good. Um, But, yeah, Michael is a lovely person. He is. So, if everything works out, congratulations. Thank you. Um, The other thing about Michael, which is worth mentioning, is that he held off from making an announcement at Gen Con, uh, or certainly FFG held off from making any announcement about Netrunner, and that was somewhat controversial in the community. And there were a lot of people who were proclaiming the end of days uh, that we were the game was in decline we were never going to see another netrunner release and we might as well all pack up and go home uh, how wrong they were Hollis uh, well, what's happened since then well after such like such lack of information at Gen Con uh, you know recently last couple of days uh, FFG dropped figurative bombs on the community right like they they decided they were going to go ahead and announce that we were getting not only rotation, like when uh, beginning in October, but boom, we're also getting a brand new revised core set, which is amazing. That means that the the base set of cards that we use for the game change entirely. Well, change considerably, which is awesome. Mm. And the, in case you haven't noticed from the title of today's episode, what we're actually going to be doing is going through this revised core set in, in great detail and talking about all the card choices, all the things that went in and out, and what that means for the metagame. Um, but before we do that, I think from both of you, Wilfie and Hollis, uh, it'd be great to get your thoughts about, um, you know, there was a lot of rumors swirling around about Core 2.0 in mm-hmm. the months and really years leading up to the announcement a couple of weeks ago. Um, a lot of people hoping that it would happen, a lot of people talking about different ways that FFG could do it. Uh, how overall do you sort of rate the the decision that they've made to keep some Genesis and Spin Cycle cards and rotate out some... Um, So I think the way that they've done it is, it seems to me like one of the better ways that they could have 
handled the situation because the way they've done it now core two and rotation sort of happen together so you have cards that are rotating cards that are saved from rotation because they're being included in core two so they're in the new environment when they weren't otherwise going to be and cards Mm -hmm. which were going to be in the new environment because they're in core 1.0 and have been rotated so rather than splitting off your rotation into two parts like for example if rotation happened now and then core 2.0 happened later that would probably be a bit jarring because you're having cards potentially go out and then come back in again whereas this makes it seem a lot more unified and given that rotation is already i think the biggest change to happen to netrunner ever the uh, the only other possible contender i think is the introduction of the mwl so having this change that's already very big be whole in that it contains all the changes that pertain to rotation i think makes the whole new system a lot clearer that these are the cards that are legal these are the cards that are not legal and that isn't going to change except in the same structure that it already has been doing like through new card sets mm. and Hollis, how do you feel about it as a sort of general tactic that FFG's taken with this core set? So I, I know that a lot of people really wanted to see, you know, certain uh, a ban or restricted list, similar to what they saw from uh, the Game of Thrones LCG uh, 1.0 back in the day, if you will. Um, mm. And I know that FFG seemed really reluctant to make that kind of a change. Now, it's interesting now with Core 2, with this revised core, they are sort of doing that. I, I think they, you know, take being able to take a look at the core set and say, these are cards that we identified that maybe from feedback uh, the community has identified um, as problem cards in the game as the, as it is now. Um, and we're going to, quote unquote, I guess, shadow ban them, right? Because effectively that's what happens. Well, they're removed from the game. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I mean, but yeah, they're, they're, it's effectively a soft, or not even soft, it's a hard ban list. But the biggest benefit of this is that unlike restricted... Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's the exact same as a restricted or banned list, right? But mm-hmm. they, at any time, and this is in the future as rotation continues to happen, they can revisit this core list and say, you know what? Let's put this card out, this card in. So account siphon may be out now, but it's coming back in because there's more answers or less or more cards to interact with it or or help recover from it and so on and so forth. I mean, this is across the board for any card, really, that's maybe out or maybe in. Um, so it gives them a way to... With some of the cards that are uh, that might be overpowered or underpowered um, in the core set, it gives them some some room to kind of work with and say, based on our understanding of what's coming out later or what's in the game now, this card can come in right now because it's fine, and later it has to go out, and vice versa. Well, I mean, this this as opposed to a ban list means that account siphon's gone forever, right? And there's no no one has to worry that it's going to come back, and the designers can design future cards knowing that account siphon's never going to be a card again. So that's kind of good. That, that is a difference with a ban list. And what I like about this is that it achieves that ban list outcome in that account siphon's gone forever, breaking news is gone forever, the sand sand's gone forever, astro's gone forever. Um, and it does that in addition to holding out a bit of a present to players by saying, here you can have back some cards that you weren't expecting to have. Mm-hmm. You know? So yes, you lose your beta test, but you get to keep Vitruvius. So it's not all bad, you know? And, and in that sense, I think it's really good timing, as Wilfie was saying, that all of the changes have happened at once because it makes it far, far smoother. Um, the other thing I really like about this, not just talking about these power cards, but about some of the other cards, which we'll mention very, very briefly later, that are 
gone from the core set with good reason because they didn't really add anything or they were confusing for new players or they were just straight up underpowered. Um, it's been a great chance to clear out some of that stuff and make sure that some of the fundamental, um, really simple effects that were in the first couple of cycles are hanging around in this revised core set. I think it's achieved a number of aims in a really elegant way. The other thing I, I briefly wanted to say on this, and it's touching on what you were saying earlier about a, a banned restricted list and this sort of achieving that same outcome, I think you really, you've hit the nail on the head there that a lot of the core set cards were higher power than the cards that came in the next couple of years, with some obvious exceptions, but I'd say there was a, a deliberate design, design decision made, and we've talked about this before, that the core set cards were a slightly higher power level, and then at the start of the Genesis cycle, the power level was brought down significantly, and it sort of crept up from there over time to the point where it reached, or in some cases exceeded the core set. Um, so this has dealt with some of those overpowered core set cards, and given, I guess, the first four cycles, like core set, first two cycles, and then the following two or three, um, a, a pretty flat power level. Um, but by the time you get to the end of the Mumbad cycle and Democracy and Dogma onwards into the um, Flashpoint cycle and the Red Sand cycle, I think that um, there are a lot of overpowered cards there, going ranging from the political assets to, you know, uh, Friends in High Places, Estelle Moon, some of these cards that are dominating the metagame. And it would be good to see them get a bit of additional attention as well, particularly since we're going to be some of the, seeing some of the answers that were in the core set going out. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Wilfie? So I do think that an interesting part about the whole Core 2.0 thing is that in the scheduling sense, it's a way to design rotation in a way that allows cards to be basically reprinted from the genesis and spin cycles so when rotation was announced they're saying these genesis and spin cycle cards are always going to be out and now we're saying okay but some of them can be in based on whether they're appropriate to be in the environment and so that's sort of as you were saying before that's sort of a bit more concrete than abandoned restricted list and just like abandoned restricted list i see the ability for ffg to have more control over what cards they include in the environment. I see that as being good. And in terms of abandoned restricted list, I do kind of feel to some extent that the MWL will need at least to be redesigned given that now we're in a completely new stage of the game. It's not at all like where we were at before rotation. And so I think just to go through the cards in the MWL and to say this can stay, this needs to change is probably not the best way to go about it. So I think you're going to need to redevelop that whole list from the ground up. Cool. Well, we'll deal with that in, in some future episodes. I think there's a lot more ground to tread talking about the detail of the metagame and where it's going to move to before Worlds. Uh, Wilfie and I have, have booked our tickets and we're going to be on planes to Minnesota towards the end of October. Um, so we'll see you all there. And in the lead up to that, we'll be doing a lot of testing and we'll be having a lot more discussion on the winning agenda about our thoughts on the metagame. But today we're going to take an in-depth look at these core set cards that have changed. We're going to look at the cards that have gone in and out. Uh, we're going to hone in on some cards we think are particularly worth talking about because they've had an impact on the game over a long time or because we think that them being saved by being included in Core 2 is a particularly interesting thing. So we'll go through the factions in order and we'll start off with Anarch. So I'm going to 
read out a, a list of Anarch cards that are either going in or out that we will uh, pay our respects to briefly um, or welcome into the new metagame, but we're not going to uh, go into too much more depth about. And if you disagree and you think one of these cards is worth talking about, send us an email or get in touch with us and uh, we might uh, see what we can do. So Worm, Jin, Grimoire, Force of Nature, Singularity, Hemorrhage, Xanadu, Darwin, Spinal Modem, and Morningstar are all either leaving the core set or coming in uh, from the first two cycles. So uh, goodbye and hello to those cards. And the cards that we're more interested in talking about, the first one is Noise slash Reina Roja. Um, so the replacement of Noise with Reina as the core set ID for Anarchs. Wilfie, what are your thoughts on this change? Yeah, so I think this is a really good change for the health of the game. And Jesse, we were talking about a point before recording that made me think of this, which is that for the first couple of years of the game, Noise was sort of the default Anarch identity, and uh, because, of course, in the core set, each faction only had one identity, and so every Anarch card was considered primarily based on its impact in a Noise deck, so viruses be- became especially important, and cards which just let you make runs in a regular fashion and were more focused on the core elements of the game were less important. I think that element was a lot different to the other Anarch identities that have come in the future, and we haven't seen an Anarch identity that's been as different from the regular Anarch game plan as Noise has. So I think turning the core set representative of Anarchs from Noise, who is very weird and makes you value cards a lot differently, to Reyna, which is much more conventional, is a very good aspect of Core 2.0, not to mention the fact that everyone mentioned, which is that with Jackson gone, noise becomes a lot harder to deal with effectively, and it's not like in single core 1.0 environment where Anarx really had not very many tools to get into servers. Now Anarx have plentiful tools to get into servers, so noise's ability is a lot more damaging if the corp doesn't have a good safety valve to deal with agendas piling up in archives. And there are a lot more viruses that are low cost and have other abilities that, yeah, that would have been a scary prospect, I think, to face noise in a post-rotation Jacksonless environment. Hollis, any thoughts on that change before we move on? Um, I'll just be really brief. Uh, Something else to add to, I agree, I very much agree with Wolfie's points, and something else to add about is that uh, Core 2, of course, is also going to be kind of packaged as a a sort of... um, the new intro for new players. And when I look at like a card that is suited better for a newer player, I feel like Rena is 100% a more, uh, air quotes, vanilla um, ID, right? Like it's, it's, it's low oh, yeah. impact and it's really simple to get. It, it doesn't require you to even really build a deck around it. It just sort of does its thing, which I think is what you generally want to see on, or, or what I would expect to see on a core set ID. So I, I think that's the, probably one of the reasons why they even made the switch. Um, because, you know, Eddie Kim is going to remain forever and, and Rena is just seems to be more vanilla ID. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the only other choice, uh, was wizard. And while a lot of us have enjoyed playing wizard, uh, I can understand why from a a game design perspective, not having that effect in the game is probably going to lead to a lot better balancing between wizard and non wizard runners. I think we've covered that in the past well enough. Uh, Deja Vu is the next card to be leaving, um, and it's probably worth talking about that in concert with Parasite, uh, which is the the, follow, the, the one following it. Um, 
losing Deja Vu and Parasite, Wolfie, will completely change the way that runners play the game, uh, and Arc Runners specifically, um, but also runners in other factions who previously splashed Parasite and used Parasite Recursion. It's It's been a tool that uh, criminals and shapers have used at various points. Um, it's now going to be cutlery or bust, really, in terms of ice destruction. So how do you think that's going to change the game? Yeah, so I agree with that. Having Deja Vu in Anarch's color pie, in, our, in Anarch's suite of playable cards, allows for a lot more focused combo decks, and I think it's no surprise that you have seen Siphon Recursion and um, Parasite Recursion and lots of things like that, primarily in Anarch, rather than going the other way, especially for Siphon, where you could have a criminal deck splashing Deja Vu. That doesn't happen as much just because of the versatility that Deja Vu provides in concert with the other Anarch tools. And so that really has impacted how linear decks have affected the game in the sense that if if your deck has a single-minded game plan and you want to play something and then recur it, and do that as fast as possible, the critical mass of recursion cards is really essential to do that, and Deja Vu is just really efficient at what it does. So losing Deja Vu, I think, is a big change to how those sort of decks operate. I might expect to see recursion decks maybe more in other factions, but I feel like the age of just building your deck around one card, like, the Parasite Cypher Deja Vu decks that we've seen recently even is hopefully coming to an end and the loss of Parasite on its own means that one, of course, Ice with lower strength becomes stronger but also I think Corpse can expect a bit more that their board state will grow over time and it's not so much of an issue for especially for Glacier decks that it's really a fight over not just getting into the remote if you're trying to score out of a remote as a corp, but also whether the remote can survive at all. Like For a lot of Glacier versus Parasite matchups throughout the history of the game, it's sort of been the runner will try and dismantle the remote and not really worry about getting into it, and the corp will try and build it up. Now I think that dynamic is going to shift a lot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that promotes some far more interesting gameplay in a lot of ways. It'll obviously need to be carefully monitored in terms of ice design and everything else. Um, When we've got years and years of ice that's been designed with Parasite in mind as a check uh, on its power, but from my early testing with this revised core set, it's been a breath of fresh air to be able to reliably pay for and res ice that may have a low strength, but that that weakness... The weakness of the low strength is that it's easily broken by icebreakers, not that it's likely to just disappear off the board in the next couple of turns. Um, and it gives runners... It forces runners, I think, when they're designing their deck, not to just be, I want to get in anywhere all the time, um, which is sort of where we got to in the last 12 months, I think, with Anarchs, that you wanted to be able to multi-access all servers, get into all servers, and just completely dismantle the corpse game plan. Um Whereas now I think you'll have to be a little more targeted as a runner in managing where you think the agendas are and targeting those servers at the right times, which is the the type of netrunner that I personally really enjoy. Uh, Hollis, any thoughts on the loss of Parasite? I just love the fact that it changes the way we can build deck as corporation, right? You, you guys already said it. Like Knowing that I'm making decisions in deck building that 
are not due to Parasite. Knowing that I can have the Yagura, you know, that I wanted to include or or um, uh, really any piece of ice like Rototurret, right, that was, you know, commonly used before, uh, it's viable again. And that mm-hmm. changes a lot, in my opinion. Like, like right, like it, it has to because it definitely limited to some small extent, you know, deck construction as Corp. And this being gone now means that Corp actually has more options than they did before, which is fantastic. Cool. Uh, the next cards we'll throw back to you again, Hollis. I'm going to bundle them together. Yogg and Kuroda, uh, two of the iconic Anarch Icebreakers, uh, one of which has been much loved, I think, Kuroda, by people across all factions as the default barrier breaker, and one of which certainly for me, as any time I've played Corp, has been a much hated card, and that's Yogg. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on those two cards? What's the love-hate balance like for you? Well, for Yogg, uh, two words, sum it up for me. Here we go. Good riddance. And then with Corroder, um, basically I feel like the Corroder loss isn't as big as it may seem. Corroder was really, really convenient because, you know, for a long time in the game because it was not only the most efficient, you know, barrier breaker um, that anyone, that any faction could really could, uh, could really use, but it was low influence enough to where it was easy to flex in, right? N- now we've moved to where there's, an, there's a new card, right? There, there is... Paperclip and paperclip is not only pretty darn efficient, but it has the added benefit of being able to you know um, have its own like level of recursion back into the game. So the tempo loss is a bit higher, right? It's from two to four, but having that recursion as an, an always-on ability is pretty sweet. And I think that knowing that paperclip exists makes the hit on Corroder way less severe, way way less severe. So it's kind of like. I, Losing Corroder doesn't, to me, isn't that big of an impact, I don't think. And the loss of Yogg is a huge impact for the game, but one, it, I mean, good riddance. That's it. It's a Yogg. Cool. Wolfie, any thoughts on those two? Losing Yogg and Parasite together makes Starter Sucker a lot more interesting and a lot better designed as a card when you have the choice between, you know, saving up Starter Sucker counters to reduce strength and make one run cheaper rather than just using data sucker and cipher to parasite down ice immediately so i'm interested to see whether that opens up a bit more avenues for design opportunities from the from ffg's perspective cool uh the next card on the list is uh medium which is a huge loss um i might just briefly kick off with this uh the last couple of years in particular uh yeah probably 2015 16 and 17 last three years medium has been probably the premier multi-access tool in the game on the runner side it's won a lot of people a lot of games it's been the core threat that anarchs have posed to corpse and when we're talking about that um ability to dismantle the remote server um Medium has been the one-two punch in that uh, game plan. It's set, it's been a way for Anarchs to say to Corpse, if you put too many resources into into trying to build and re-establish that remote, and you're relying on that to score your agendas, uh, I'm also going to be able to punish you unless you're able to protect R&D strongly. And if you if I get my medium into play and I've kept your remote pretty um, small and reasonably easy to access. Uh, then I can just dismantle your R&D instead and win the game that way. So, uh, yeah, Medium is a huge loss for Anarchs. It's been probably one of their top three or four power cards, certainly in terms of your action cards that that win you the game. 
um, and it's going to be a big change for them to find new ways to win the game without it. Uh, Wolfie, thoughts on medium? Yep, I agree. I think from, especially in the last couple of years, as you said, given the strength of Anarch Ice Destruction, medium has been sort of an omnipresent threat, and it's not so much like it was in the start of the game where it was like, you know, if the corp doesn't protect this R&D early, you can get a couple runs in. It's Now it's sort of stabilized as a mid-to-late game card to you to provide a huge payoff for being able to attack the ice on R&D effectively. And so I think changing that for cards that don't snowball as much where they're not such a strong payoff for that single-minded R&D attack might be a bit better for the game. So we you know there are lots of other R&D t- multi-access tools but they all, I think, work in a bit of a different way where you have to do things other than run R&D a lot in order to make running R&D a lot good, which I think is a bit more interesting from a design perspective. Mm. Hollis? No, I totally agree with each of those opinions. I have, no, I mean, real, very thorough, guys. I have nothing else to add. Uh, Wildside is the next card on the list, and this has been another tournament mainstay, a little bit less so since it was uh, put on the most wanted list, uh, but certainly before that, Wizard decks utilizing Wildside and Adjusted Chronotype, its its natural companion ever since it, the latter was released, uh, have been a powerful engine for Anarchs to be effectively drawing two cards at the beginning of every turn for free. Um, what are your thoughts on the loss of this in terms of Anarch's continued resource uh, game? Uh, Hollis, how do you think that Anarch decks are going to be able to bounce back um, in terms of the card economy and uh, finding new ways to access the cards in the deck so because Wildside was on the most wanted list uh i guess looking at it from both sides right so pre-most wanted list wild you know if this had actually happened at that point this would have been a pretty darn big hit right because the that entire like uh uh wild cakes combo would have just been number one completely dismantled and just a chronotype would have just become this card that pretty much only works in like shaper related cards like uh like game day right and stuff like that um, so that combo breaks and I don't know, I don't really know how good the noise decks at the time that were utilizing it would have been if this had rotated out going to the reality of what it is. Now, I think a lot of NR decks decks have adapted to, um, using career fair and Earthrise hotel. So like basically the combination of like career fair, because it works and synergizes with, you know, a lot of the three slash four cost slash six cost as, uh, resources that the, the runner has meant that, um, and as and Wildside being added to the most wanted list meant that now things like Earthrise Hotel, Daily Casts, and and things like that were were much better just just with Career Fair. Um, I don't think it's hugely impactful now, um, but I actually kind of like that it's gone. Knowing Adjuster Chronotype is in the game means that there's no risk of this ever being something that could be, I guess, just overpowered possibly. Because it was definitely, like, incredibly strong for Faust decks and for Noise decks in general, right? Yeah, it, it's pretty hard to play it and Faust together. I mean, I'm, I'm loath to say that since I played that at regionals and still did well. But, um, yeah, it's certainly become a lot harder. Yeah. And with the loss of Parasite as well and Medium, that deck's lost everything, pretty much, that was important. Mm-hmm. Um, all the action cards, so it's going to have... Anarch's really just going to 
have to find a new way to do things. And I think, yeah, the loss of Wildside just reinforces exactly that. Um, cool. Uh, the cards that are coming in that we wanted to briefly mention, that was a, a long list of Anarch cards that are leaving. And I think it's probably just quickly worth reflecting on that, that we were discussing before the show... Anarch has been hit hardest by this revised core set in terms of the cards that are leaving, and I think there's probably good reason for that. As we said, the the core set um, was a high power level, then there's also been a lot of high power level cards coming out recently, and I think for Anarch in particular, the combination of those two periods of really high power cards has led to them being far and away the best runner faction and quite dominant in a lot of uh, certainly in the competitive metagame so losing these tools having to find different ways to uh, win the game and probably we hope making way for some new and interesting anarch designs coming out in the next little while will be really good um some cards that are good to have around though for various reasons um particular in particular rather are imp and liberated account i'll throw these to you really briefly wilfie but um for me having imp around is really good for keeping um the the asset spam potential metagame in check given that wizard is gone and liberated account is good just to give anarch some economy really other than day job in faction any thoughts on that yeah so i think that imp and scrubber together are sort of ffg's ways to say okay we understand that wizard is rotating but there are still tools to deal with asset spam and imp has a multitude of uses against other decks as well especially being able to trash non-trashable cards and liberated Mm. account yeah like liberated account has been quite strong ever since anarchs got a bit more burst economy so you didn't always have to click for your first credit to install it if you're going to play it early and in general um it's just a very efficient card and i think having that the option of these different economy cards that pay out at different rates now that you have you know daily casts blue moose liberate account etc makes the game more interesting because you have more choices in that respect cool um and hollis retrieval run any thoughts on that being around it's certainly been an interesting tool in terms of anarch having some way to punish archives being left unprotected Mm -hmm. a little bit less so now that we've got um uh, the Conspiracy Breakers, and also that Keyhole is going to be leaving, but do you think there'll still be some role for Retrieval Run in the future? I think there has to be. Like Wolfie said, when you, when you remove existing recursion cards that are that are in faction, because, um, I mean, I think most people would have just defaulted to Deja Vu as opposed to a card like Retrieval Run unless it was a very specific purpose. Like, you're playing Max, mm. or you want to get, like, a Femme Fatale, right? Um, out of your discard pal into play for the cheap. Um, so yep. when you start removing available options, cards that are kind of meh become more viable. And like Wolfie said, that makes things more interesting from the deck building perspective, from the, the, you know, the, the play perspective. I, I, I think we'll see more of it. I just don't know what to what degree at all. That brings us to the end of the Anarch cards. The next faction is Criminal. Uh, so, Wilfie, this was your favorite faction for the first probably couple of years of the game. I don't think I saw you play any runner decks other than Criminals at tournaments. And the two key cards that are leaving are Desperado and Account Siphon. Um, how do you feel about losing each of those, and what impact do you think it'll have on the Criminal uh, decks that we'll see from here on out? I want to go off on a small tangent and just say that in my first sure. tournament... Or one of my first tournaments, which was 
I think Nationals 2013. I didn't even play Desperado in my criminal deck. So I'm sure as <laughs> as everyone can see, I think my deck building skills may have evolved since then. I didn't think it was very good <laughs> compared to Armitage code busting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like De- Desperado and Account Siphon have been incredibly good for the history of Netrunner basically but in general I think that having criminals power cards be so condensed into these two cards primarily I mean criminal does have other good cards but none that are of the strength of Desperado and the Count Siphon I think that's even true currently um, Temujin's probably the third, yeah, but sure, not sure, outside right. those three. Yeah. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, Tem- Temujin is definitely the third, you're, you're right. But those really make criminal decks a bit one-dimensional, especially Desperado, given that a lot of the not-as-high-powered but still strong criminal cards really supported that successful run theme, the idea of just running, trying to be aggressive, pressure the corp early by making them res ice, and then trying to get into servers and get seven points, you know, not in one big go later, but just gradually throughout the game. And that's sort of been, especially with given Desperado focusing your deck to do that, that's been the dominant criminal strategy, I think, for basically the entirety of the game. So I do wonder if losing Desperado is actually a good thing for the design of the game in the sense that all the other criminal sub-themes that we always say, yeah, they're good, but they're not as good as just the Desperado good stuff engine, hopefully those will start to come into play a bit more. And Account Siphon is a bit different because, you know, it's much more powerful, but it also goes into a wide range of decks. We've seen it in all three factions, but the swinginess of it is really high, and games where you can land an account siphon early, especially in siphon-focused decks, are so much different to games where you can't that the dynamic really revolves around siphon, so I think, as I said before for some of the Anarch cards, changing that focus to a new set of cards that might not be as strong but do siphon-like things in different ways, I think will be a breath of fresh air for the game. Yeah, and, and it really does come down to something very similar to Medium in that they both present you with a consistent, powerful way to win the game. Um, and you sort of can just design your deck around them knowing that basically whatever you come up against, they're going to be good. And uh, assuming that you fill the rest of your deck with tools to deal with the various counterplays that your opponents might have, these cards will then enable you to pretty much win the game, regardless of um, sort of what strategy the corp's using. And I think, yeah, forcing runners to be a little bit more varied in the way that they plan will be unsettling, no doubt. Um, We're all going to go into games where we go, I wish I had a deck that was as consistent and as much of a blunt instrument as the ones that I was able to play before. Uh, But I think that's great for creativity, and I think it's great for the game as a whole that we can't do that anymore. Um, losing these sorts of power cards. Hollis, any thoughts on that? You guys nailed that. I'm good. No, please, please can proceed. 
Cool. So the other ones that we wanted to talk about that are leaving, uh, none, but we will briefly mention. Uh, Ninja, Data Dealer, Lemuria Code Cracker, and Decoy, farewell. Uh, we shall not miss thee. Cards that are coming in, um, the ones that we're not particularly interested in going into too much depth about are Fairy, although we will note that Wilfie Yu did love Fairy for a very long time. Uh, Peacock, Pheromones, and Mr. Lee. Uh, the cards we did briefly want to mention uh, start with... HQ interface. Um, so, Wolfie, how do you think that this will shape the metagame as a different strategy, and do you think it could fit into both a, a new style aggressive crim as well as a control crim, since that since it has such strong synergy with gang sign um, and that sort of gang sign Leela style deck? Yeah. So, a consequence of Desperado and account typing leaving is the power vacuum in criminal and i'm not sure and it'll be really interesting to see how that's filled whether it's filled by a lila deck that's more run focused and similar to what we have now in andromeda or a more a deck that sits back more and tries to disrupt the corp and as you said sets up hq interface and gang sign or maybe even something else that i haven't even considered so the debate about HQ interface versus legwork as well as R&D interface versus maker's eye, I think, has been ongoing for the length of the game. HQ interface is definitely more consistent if you want to access HQ multiple times over the course of the game rather than accessing HQ at one critical point where legwork is much more powerful in that instance and having HQ interface might allow for the revival of those those slower decks that want to keep HQ a bit more monitored. But I will just say that the loss of Desperado means I think that Gauntlet is possible to be the sort of next best criminal console, which might blunt the value of HQ interface a little bit since Gauntlet fulfills a similar role. So yeah, that's where I see HQ interface going. Cool. Uh, Hollis, one for you is Emergency Shutdown, uh, which has been alongside Account Siphon, one of the reasons to Ice HQ, and while we're losing Account Siphon, which does sort of make me a little bit worried about whether we have enough reasons for Corps to bother Icing HQ rather than just creating a remote and shifting the agendas straight from R&D when they draw them <laughs> into that remote, um, Emergency Shutdown is certainly a good reason to do that. Uh, do you see it being a tool that's used widely by runners? Crims particularly, obviously. The way I feel about Emergency Shutdown is similarly to how I feel about kind of like Retrieval Run. I think that there's a lot of great cards to include, but I think the removal of certain cards that are common staples, if you will, like Account Siphon, um, may mean that, especially for Criminal, they'll find the available deck slots to find to, so the card will be more useful in this meta. Um, but I, it, it, that's... In the same way how, like, I think Retrieval Run will be played more, but I don't know, I'm in that same boat with Emergency Shutdown. Like, we know the card can be very effective. We've seen the power level of, you know, derezzing the corporation's eyes. Um, I'd like to think, you know, that the game is changing enough to where there's so fewer ways for the runner to manipulate corp economy that a card like Emergency Shutdown becomes a lot more viable because it now is one of the fewer ways to deny, uh, remaining to deny corp economy potentially. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like maybe it's just not good enough still. Hmm. 
Yeah, it, it might not be, certainly. Um, it, it's really about whether high-cost ice is played, really. I mean, obviously, emergency shutdowning a toll booth, which was a common occurrence when the game was quite young, is a real blowout of a play. Um, but if you're emergency shutdowning a four-cost ice as your sort of best option, um, Corpse, since both sides' economy got better over the course of the game, Corpse have been able to rebound from that far too easily. But I think with... Uh, both sides' economy decreasing in power um, and Corpse being incentivized to play higher-cost ice, especially given that Parasite is gone, I think Emergency Shutdown could be um, a nice one to have around in your deck a little more than it has been. The last card from Crims that we wanted to mention today is Fall Guy. Now, this isn't a very splashy card, uh, but it's certainly been one that's enabled a whole lot of strategies, some degenerate, uh, some not so degenerate um but how do you feel about it hanging around Hulk? i kind of feel like uh fall guy i feel like is almost a necessity kind of weirdly um because the one thing that we can we can kind of wonder, i guess it fits in in the pie for criminal it seems is that criminals more likely to tag themselves now while you know that was very common with account siphon and we know account siphon's leaving i maybe i'm wrong but it still feels like that's a criminal thing I do this cool thing and I take some tags as a result of doing my cool thing. And I like Fall Guy as sort of just being a card that exists in the meta for number one, it's one influence, it's splashable. So it's sort of, it is, it's resource protection for anybody. Um, but also it, it gives sort of this additional protection available to the faction that is likely to tag themselves from their degenerate behavior. Um, and so I, I kind of like the card remaining. It's, it's one of those things where it's like the, the universal usefulness of that card to me sort of justifies it remain because not every deck is going to want to play it, but I, I like just having it there. It does. I feel like it doesn't hurt anything and the card is definitely useful. Sounds good. You've done a lot more thinking about Fall Guy than I have, that's for sure. The last runner faction is Shaper and the cards which we're farewelling that we're not going to go into much depth about are... Toolbox, uh, Net Shield, and Akamatsu Memchip, and the cards which we're welcoming in that we're... Uh, some people are certainly excited about one of these, but we're not all that enamored, are Dinosaurus and All-Nighter. Uh, so welcome to them. The cards which we wanted to mention in particular... Now, this list is actually a lot shorter uh, on both sides than the Anarch and Krim lists, because I think the changes probably aren't that impactful. Most of the powerful Shaper cards came out in their big box, and that was the first big box off the rank. So... Uh, the core set was a little less important, I think, for Shapers. But Kate and Chaos Theory, that swap, is certainly probably the most important change. Uh, Kate has been the staple go-to Shaper ID. There are so many one- and two-cost programs and pieces of hardware in Shaper that you want to have in play, and the difference between paying one for your cloaks and your clone chips and paying zero is pretty huge. Uh, so, Hollis, how do you see Shapers going forward uh, having to pay that premium, uh, not no longer getting the Kate discount, uh, and do you think that that's a good thing for the game? Uh, with the exception of Stealth Shaper decks, and even then, there's room to argue that Kate is still the best there. Uh, I think Kate was hands down the the most used, uh, you know, Shaper ID. Like period, I, and it's because that. I mean, it, it would be f program or hardware, right? I mean, your deck is full of full of that, and. It's really, really easy to build a deck that is going to cater to Kate's ability. It's universally good. It's always on. And you can utilize the tricks that are available in Shaper like Clone Chip and self-modifying code to extend that benefit out to actually every turn. 
uh, you and the cor- you and the corpse turn. So, um, Kate being out is hugely impactful, I think, to the shaper economy. Um, it means that now the inclusion of a lot of like one cost programs, while they're still good, you don't actually get the same value. You, you're not getting the same value. So the evaluation there for your economy on that shaper like suite is just is vastly different. And then on top of that, uh, I guess going into it like chaos, chaos theory, I feel like is just a more. I feel the way the way I feel about chaos theory is how I feel about uh, Reina is that it's a more new player friendly ID. And it's also, in my opinion, very shapery, right? Lower deck size, more MU. Uh, so you, your toolkit that's available there is done faster. Shaper's the program um, faction, and so while you can argue it makes sense to an extent that you know Kate gives discounts on programs, it also makes sense that Chaos Theory thematically, because uh, I know we always care about flavor in this podcast. Uh, gives you the available MU to host more programs. And I think that yeah. fits very well in the Shaper theme while still being an incredibly friendly ID for new players. Yeah, so uh, in summary, Kate, it's been great, but um, we are moving on to something different, which is great. Um, I think it's always good for games to refresh, and this is the only time in this episode, I promise, I'll mention, mention Magic the Gathering, but um, it, in a discussion about rotation i think it's worth mentioning because magic obviously rotates every couple of years and there's a fresh standard format very regularly and i think rotation is always a moment where you go oh i really love playing with that card that's been great um it's not necessarily a oh, good riddance to everything that's leaving uh but change can be really good even if you're losing things that you enjoy playing with i guess is the bottom line and, and kate definitely fits into that category for me uh, Wolfie, any thoughts on Chaos Theory? Uh, not too many. I'll just say that we've, ever since Smoke has been released, we've sort of <clears throat> seen Smoke as being a Chaos Theory with a cloak pre-installed, and so they're similar enough, I think, to consider together and understand that Smoke is good in some situations, Chaos Theory is good in others, but I think having those sort of shaper identities that are are good, similar in power level, but good in different situations makes it a lot more interesting than having Kate, which for most of the game's life, up until only six months to a year ago, I think have other shaper identities actually started to be playable. That makes the removal of Kate a lot more interesting for design space in terms of shapers. The other card that we really want to talk about is indexing. Uh, this, for me, is a really, really important one to have in. It's obviously probably only going to be played in a shaper decks, given its influence cost, but um, the fact that it holds PE decks accountable and it's a way for runners to really effectively deal with snares in any deck uh, and to get... to sort of avoid traps in R&D, basically, um, is a really good thing to have in the game. And uh, with R&D interface leaving, obviously losing some multi-access options from Shaper, uh, so it's good to see indexing in there to supplement the Maker's Eye and deep data mining. Uh, Wilfio Hollis, do you want to jump in on that? No, I will just say quickly that indexing stock is going to rise a lot now that Jackson has rotated, and indexing has always been an interesting card because of its strength against low ice decks, as you said. So it'll be interesting to see where it lands compared to deep data mining in the Maker's Eye nowadays. Mm. 
And the other two, uh, the other card that's probably just worth mentioning in passing is Test Run. Uh, doesn't see as much play as self-modifying code, uh, which is probably a little bit more efficient. Uh, but Test Run is another option for shapers to go searching for things if um, you know something happens to self-modifying code. If there's a redo of the of um, creation and control for some reason down the line, and self-modifying code gets the chop, at least we know we've got Test Run in the format. I'm secretly hoping we go back to like things like Test Run the imp in the discard pile, put it in play, trash something, put it back on top of the deck. I hope I hope this becomes a thing again because <laughs> it went away. It was it was here for a little while. Do you guys recall like Kate the best Anarch decks? And then that kind of died when Anarch became the best Anarch decks. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. Test Run has definitely got some interesting plays with Femfatal and Imp and all sorts of uh, effects that trigger when they come into play. So that brings us to the last faction, which is uh, the neutral runner cards. And access to Global Sec is leaving, which is great because that card is probably one of the worst cards in Netrunner. And Underworld Contacts and Dyson Memchip are coming in. I guess maybe in the Underworld Contacts deck you're going to be sad that Access to Global Sec is gone, but let's be real, no one's ever uh, actually played Access to Global Sec and Underworld Contacts together to yep. any great success. Um, Dyson Memchip is effectively replacing Akamatsu Memchip, which we didn't discuss earlier, but um, they're both quite boring cards and do very similar things. So that's that. Uh, that brings us to the end of the runner side of our Core 2.0 card review. We hope you've enjoyed listening along, and we will be back next week with the Corp side. There are probably not as many impactful changes, uh, but there are a lot of cards that I'm certainly glad to see staying in on the Corp side, or rather coming in from the first couple of cycles. Uh, so we'll see you then uh, when we discuss those in a little more depth. Uh, this has been The Winning Agenda. I've been Jesse Marshall here with Wilfie Horrig and Hollis Echo. If you want to get in touch with us and tell us why we should have spent more time talking about Force of Nature, you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda, or you can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. And if you would like to throw a few dollars our way on Patreon, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks, everyone.